0: This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria.
1: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, hi there, Heidi. How are things in New York?
2: Hi, Mom. Things are going well. It feels weird to say that because I know there's a lot of people out there listening that are are maybe not in the best of places right now.
1: Absolutely. Well, we certainly know that. And uh, I am so interested in the person we're going to have on the show today, Heidi, because it reminds me of some of the work that you've been doing uh, with the 9-11 firefighter families. Do you want to just mention that?
2: Yes, we are going to have some parallels, and I can't wait to have her on today. Um, And I will be introducing her in a minute, but I was seeing families that had lost, I was working with children and widows and siblings that had lost firefighters in the World Trade Center um, on a long-term study with Columbia University and the Fire Department of New York, the FDNY as we call it, and I worked with the same kids for 10 years and the same widows and kind of watched them grow up and watch them, you know, go through a lot of things and they've they gotten to good places and then they would have setbacks because all of you know that grief comes in waves, so... I kind of got to see their journey and take it with them.
1: And it also, which, which is interesting, they got some uh, therapy benefits out of the whole thing. So uh, these families were, in a way, all of them were in uh, therapy, wouldn't you say, or some kind of uh, support. I don't know. How, what, how would you term it?
2: Well, our research was, was both. Because what we did is we went on, you know, we went into homes and did home visits six months after 9-11, and we did both research and an intervention. And our intervention was therapy. So, you know, it was kind of twofold. So they got free services for 10 years, and in return, we got to kind of see what their process looked like and study it.
1: And what did you find out with the kids? Where are they now after 10 years? How are they doing?
2: Um, after 10 years, most of them, doing, I can say pretty much they're doing, they're doing well. I mean, they still miss their fathers a lot, and they still think about them a lot, and anniversary dates may still set them back, but they recover a lot quicker. Uh, kids are very, very resilient, and uh, they've incorporated their fathers into their lives in new ways and continued bonds with them and paid tribute to them, but in different ways. So 10 years later, the widows and the children are in a better place, and the widows have kind of embraced their new identity as single parents and um, as widows, and, you know, that took many, many years. Probably, you know, it wasn't until year seven where they were really able to embrace their new identity. So, you know, grief is definitely a journey, and there's times where you are in joy, and then there's times where there's major setbacks.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm going to be interested in talking to uh, our guest today, Nadine Melham, is that... Um, what the signs are, because your, your people were closely watched and they were in treatment, basically. But what are, for our folks out there who don't have that situation, let's, um, it's going to be great to have her talk about some of the symptoms and signs and when you see that, uh, somebody needs to have treatment and when, uh, kids are at risk. So, Hadi, why don't you introduce Nadine?
2: Sure, I'd be honored to. So, our guest today is Dr. Nadine Malham, who grew up in Lebanon and is now an assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh. Nadine has been studying trauma and bereavement in children for the past 10 years. She wrote um, in the September issue of the Archive of General Psychiatry, an article which looked at grief in children and adolescents, and this has gained national attention. And this is the first longitudinal study of its kind addressing this specific issue. Welcome to the show, Nadine. Hi. Hi, Gloria. Hi,
1: Heidi. So great to have you on. We love the work you're doing. It's so important, you know, the to help those kids out there and also to help uh, for the parents that are listening to the show or the parent uh, after a loss that is listening. and uh, Tell us a little bit. Well, first of all, you're from Lebanon. How did you get into this field?
2: Well, um, um, well I started working in Lebanon, which is my country of origin, uh, on the psychiatric consequences of war in children and adolescents. And I think being born and raised in a country that's ravaged by wars, uh, it was a natural inclination to get, to get interested in the impact of exposure to trauma and death on mental health uh, in children.
1: So tell us, what are children's reactions to grief? And is it different with adolescents? You know. Well,
2: uh, we have looked in the study that Heidi mentioned at uh, 182 children and adolescents. They were between the ages of 7 and 18 years and who have lost their parent to either suicide, accident, or sudden natural death. And we found that, as Heidi has mentioned, uh, a lot of the bereaved children are able to cope, and more than half they were able to cope with their grief within one year of the loss of their parent. However, the course of grief was more difficult for some children and adolescents. With 30%, they showed a more gradual decrease in their grief symptoms, and about ten percent that had high and prolonged grief even three years after their parents
1: died. So, so let me ask you a question: Did you have any um, treatment connected with this, or was it just study them?
2: No, it was a naturalistic study, uh, just assessing them every year after their parents uh, died. Right. We didn't have any
1: intervention. That's interesting because Heidi, she's looking at fifty percent. It sounds like your kids are doing a little better after treatment.
2: Um, they yes, there was a lot of resources in place. I mean, not only did they have the tre- because there was so much funding thrown at nine eleven, there was there was a lot of treatment. So not only did they have us going in to do home visits, there was also workshops parenting workshops, children's workshops done at the fire department, as well as grief camps for 9-11 kids, and peer mentors that were set up for the kids to serve as surrogate father figures. So they had a lot of things in place.
1: So Nadine, here I am. I'm out there in the audience and I'm listening to you and I'm getting a little scared because I'm hearing Heidi talk about all these resources and then I'm hearing you say that there could be a 50% you know, kids who don't do as well, and uh, maybe 10% who really, you know, need to uh, have treatment. Okay, here I am. Help me. How do I know that my child has problems?
2: Well, uh, this is a very good question, uh, Gloria. Uh, The one thing that uh, there are two things that are different between our study and uh, the 9-11 study that uh, Heidi is involved with, uh, number one is the type of death, how the parent died, mm-hmm. uh, and probably in the 9-11, uh, there were lots of resources and there is also other factors that play a role in children's grief, which is the constant exposure to the media, and that's true of uh, the 9-11 or any other natural disaster or war-related uh, trauma. In our study, which is more of, you know, any type of sudden death. And here I have, I, I'm constant, I focus on the word sudden uh, death because we didn't look at other types. Right. And what, what we found, these are basically what, there is a normal course of grief. Every child will grief after, will grieve after their uh, parents died and they will have the symptoms of the shock, the disbelief, the preoccupation with the loss the avoidance uh, of uh, reminders of the loss as well as reminders that, you know, their parents have died even. And there is inability to engage in new activities, anger and bitterness. All these are symptoms of, um, that happen in the acute grief stage. However, in a prolonged grief reaction or complicated grief, and here I use the word prolonged and complicated interchangeably, what happens is that the intensity of these feelings and their duration remain for a longer period of time than the normal acute
1: grief process okay so so it would be normal if my kid had all the symptoms you're talking about that's normal grief i don't need to worry about it but if it goes on then ha- then and and they keep Having disruptions in their life, how long would you say that uh, it should go before I should start worrying about them?
2: Uh, that's the main, you know, question that uh, is uh, is open for research. Uh, some people think after six months, if a child or even an adult uh, are still having the same intensity, then it's problematic. Uh, others they are arguing two months. But I think the main, the most important uh, indicator for a family or a parent uh, where their child is believed lost their other parent is how well the child is doing, uh, how much their level of, of functioning is impaired or is changed since the death. I think that's the best indicator
0: uh-huh. uh,
2: because if a child, you know, uh, by level of functioning at home, uh, at home and at school, how well are they doing? Are they engaged in activities with other kids? These are very important indicators for uh, for the for the parent um, to attend to a problem in their child.
1: So they can take a look at how they functioned before they lost their parent, and then they can take a look at uh, later. Heidi, do you have any comment on that?
2: I think that is that's really important. Like Nadine's saying, how was the functioning prior to the death? The other piece, which Nadine brought up, which is very very important, especially when there's been trauma is the fact that the 9-11 kids that I worked with had constant exposure to visual images on the television, in the news media, and hearing people speak over and over and over about the trauma of what happened with the World Trade Center attacks and the Pentagon attacks, et cetera. So what we basically, you know, talk to the kids about and the families about, and for anyone out there that children have been exposed to a traumatic loss, is that what is very important is that we reassure these kids that they still live in a safe and predictable environment and world. Hopefully that's true. And that we let them know that although they may see the towers falling over and over and over again in the media, they only fell once. Because many of the children that I worked with felt like New York City and the entire country was being attacked on a daily basis because they kept seeing the same images over and over on the television. So that's, that's important. They, they, we need to tell, let them know they still live in a safe and predictable world. Otherwise, they're going to develop all sorts of anxiety and have all sorts of problems with behavior and concentration.
1: Uh, yeah. And, and Nadine, I wanted to ask you one of the things that I, that I think you've talked about is the fact uh, that uh, what's the role of the surviving parent in the kids' grief reactions? What did you find?
2: Well, we found, uh, and we've been consistently finding this not only in grief, but also in other outcomes such as depression and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, that the well-being of the surviving parent or the caregiver is a very significant predictor of their child's well-being. So what we found in the study is that the combination of complicated grief in the parent and in the child were the strongest predictors of depression in children up to three years after the death. So the functioning of the parent themselves and their complicated grief or grief reactions is very important.
1: Right. Oh, thank you. I think that's so important. I mean, you really that's really a kernel of, of enlightenment to you parents out there or parent, if you're a single parent now. Your functioning and how you deal with this is going to determine a lot. Your kids are going to watch you. So the message isn't, uh, tough it up. Fake it till you make it. Whatever it is. Take care of yourself. Find people to help you. Ask people to help you. Um, you know, y- y- it's very important to take care of yourself because I think sometimes parents neglect themselves because they're worried about the kids or they overstress or whatever. But, um, you know, it- it's you. I mean, you need to take care of yourself and so that you can be an example. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Hyde?
2: Well, as, uh, Nadine said, there is a correlation between uh, parents Depression in a child as well as anxiety. You often find children that have anxiety disorders, you find that a parent also has an anxiety disorder. And a child has watched that and modeled that and internalized the parent's anxiety. So, like you said, Mom, it's very important for the parents out there that they get their own help and take care of themselves so that they can model appropriate grief reactions for
1: their children. Which is tough if you're a single parent.
2: Uh, a matter of modeling after uh, mm-hmm. after the uh, after a bereavement or a death in the family, it's it's really different. Individuals, different members of the family, they grieve mm-hmm. uh, differently. And the parents, I agree with you. Uh, that's basically the message. They need to take care of themselves, as because that is basically taking care of their children. as but uh, one of the things with the, you know, it's not that they're modeling after the parents and it's not that it's not appropriate to have for the parents to have that grief going on, but just... No, I, th- case, I think, you think know. that you can mo- Nadine, I think that you can model, you can be a good model and grieve in front of your children. In fact, I think being a good model is grieving in front of your children. As long as it, the grief doesn't become so big and so overwhelming that it terrifies your children. And they become so afraid that you're no longer going to be able to take care of them on any level. So there's kind absolutely. of a fine line. But I absolutely agree with you. I think that modeling by grieving is absolutely appropriate. And the functioning, keeping a as much as uh, closer to a normal environment and consistency, yeah, because that's another thing that we always find consistent parenting is also very important in
1: predicting the child's outcome. You know, one of the one of the things that puts a lot of pressure on people, I think, is um, particularly if you've got a parent, maybe uh, the dad uh, now has to take over the mom's roles. And we've had people talk about that. It, being consistent, um, we had one dad tell us that um, he had to learn this when the kids brought home uh, a, a drawing from school. He had to learn to say, he used to say, oh, that's nice. But then he remembered what his wife used to say. And then he started saying, wow, honey, that's so great. What a great job. And he realized he had to take on some of those roles. Do you remember that, Heidi?
2: I thought, yeah, he made a really good point. He had to be more enthusiastic than normal because he had to serve as both the father and the mother for the children. And I'm sure Nadine has seen this a lot in her work, filling those kind of roles and those voids for these kids. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you know it's um, uh, it's its it's a tough role, uh, basically. and uh, we did not see well, the one thing, however, that uh, we did not see whether it made a difference whether the mother or the father was the one who died. So because some people believe that a uh, maternal death is worse than a a father's death, and we did not see evidence of that. so, as long as this surviving parents, whether the mother or the father, are you know uh, doing well and are helping their children, and uh, the outcomes you know of their children would be fine. Uh, so whether it's in the father or the mother who died, it doesn't uh, it, it does not show much difference.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I think
2: so. yes, I think this is a really important point for parents out there because I have heard wrongly. So you're clear, you're clearing this up for me that. If the surviving parent is the father, children do not do as well. But what you're saying, which I love what you're saying, is it doesn't matter which parent died. That as long as you still have a, a very good parent that's alive, it doesn't matter whether it's the father or the mother. That's what we found in our study.
1: Well, let me, it's time for us to close our show now, Nadine. And, um, is there anything you'd like to tell us? Any websites or anything special that you'd like our audience to know?
2: Basically, I would like to uh, to just uh, let people know that uh, uh, whenever to to be to be able to detect these uh, these uh, grief reactions early on in their children, and not to wait uh, until it is too late, because we did find that children with prolonged grief they are at increased risk for depression and functional impairment. So you can uh, detect these symptoms early on and you can intercede and seek
1: help. Okay, great. How do you have any comments on that?
2: I would just agree with what, with what Nadine is saying. I mean, when in doubt, go and get a second opinion because sometimes you don't know. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, going in and just saying, you know what, I think my kid, I don't know if my kid is doing okay. What, what do you think? To someone that is an expert.
1: Right. And and if you, you know, you can always ask your school if, if how the kids are doing and and ask, um, you know, people that are around them, family members, if you're not not sure on your own.
2: I, I guess the one thing I'd want to say out there to families is is to reassure your, your kids, look, this is really a hard time for us. We all miss your dad a lot, but we are in this as, together as a team we're going to get through this. We're all going to get through it together, and I'm here for you as your parent, and it's going to be hard at times, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to survive, and we're going to thrive eventually. Because, you know, if, if kids know that they're they're not alone, and that they've they got other people as a support, I think they do a lot better. I also would like to remind uh, listeners of one thing, that uh, grief, it's, it's a universal experience, and it is a normal response, a loss. So I want to emphasize that uh, a lot of the kids, the majority of the kids will do well. It's not, uh, you know, I don't want people to uh, uh, not to hear that part. Uh, It's only in some brief individuals and some brief kids where the grief can become complicated and prolonged. But the majority of kids will do
1: well. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Nadine. We're really to happy to have you on, and thank you for all the wonderful research you're doing in a, such an important area and what you do for the world. Thank you for inviting me to show. Thanks,
2: Nadine.
1: Thanks. Well, Heidi, what a great show. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Daryl Scott. I had to think of him, uh, Craig Scott. His son was, the, uh, was at Columbine, and his sister Rachel got killed. Remember what Daryl said? He said, you got to love on him. When we asked him, what did you do? He said, I had to love on him.
2: Absolutely. And I love the last takeaway message that Nadine left our audience with, and that is the majority of kids do well after a loss. Kids are
1: very resilient. Absolutely. And I just want to close with this last thought that Nadine said, which I had to write down because I thought it was so good. She said, taking care of yourself is taking care of your children. Thanks for listening to the Open to Hope show. Please stay tuned again next week.